This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am Elizabeth Hyman, and I'm here with my co-host, Kelly King. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Elizabeth. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, It's a Monday morning after the time change when we're Uh recording this, so Uh it's a little, and it's kind of rainy outside, which is perfect nap time, but we're we're going to record a podcast. It's going to be great, Um, and so today we're really excited to have Christine Hoover on, so hey, Christine. Hey, y'all. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And we just want to let you introduce yourself. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and your ministry and all the things. Okay. Well, I'm married to Kyle, and he is a pastor of a church that we planted in Charlottesville, Virginia in 2008. We also have three boys, and they are all teenagers, so I'm in that stage of life. My oldest is about to graduate from high school, so we're moving into this new little season, and I love to serve alongside my husband in our church, and probably my very favorite way to serve is by teaching women's Bible study, and I also am a writer, so I've written five books, and I'm wrapping up a sixth book that actually is coming out next year. Next year, it's a book for pastors' wives, and and I'm talking with y'all today because I'm preparing to release my first Bible study with Lifeway on April 1st. And I have to say that I have released a lot of resources, but I think I am the most excited about this because I love studying the Bible and I love helping women dig deep into the Bible for themselves. So that's that's on my radar right now. That's about me. Yeah, that's great. I was just thinking when you were saying that, how many of our Lifeway authors are moms to boys? We do have a lot of moms to boys. Yes. Yeah. So that's really interesting. So it's almost like when they get to do Bible studies and they get to teach, (laughs) it's like, yes, I get to be around other women. (laughs) Yes. I think that's huge. And a lot of them have a lot of boys. A lot of boys. It's like three to six boys. Priscilla Shire. Yeah. yeah, Rucho Simons. Yeah. There's lots of them. That's true. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your Bible study. It's uh, it's called Seek First the Kingdom. So we want to know kind of the heart behind the study, maybe what how the Lord just led you to kind of be directed that way. Yeah, well, I'm excited to talk about it. It's an eight-week study of the book of Matthew, and it specifically looks at one of the topics that Jesus talked about most, the kingdom of God. And the idea for this Bible study came from my own personal study of Matthew a few years ago. And at that time, I was experiencing a lot of turmoil and unrest in my life, and I was having trouble pinpointing exactly what that was about. And God used the book of Matthew to do a really significant work in my own heart regarding my affections and my allegiances and my ambitions. And He showed me through that book that I had misplaced allegiances. And then it was bearing bad fruit in my life that this lack of peace and inner turmoil that I just described, it was coming from these misplaced allegiances. So what kept popping out at me as I was reading Matthew were Jesus's words about the kingdom of God that he is building. And I didn't really know exactly what that meant. Uh, but I, as I was reading it, I saw how different 
what he was describing is different from the kingdom of earth that we live in, kind of this cultural air that we breathe every day. And so I became so captivated by his descriptions of the kingdom, the culture of the kingdom, and how he he really challenges us to think about and evaluate according to his evaluation, who is truly blessed? What does it mean to be truly blessed? And so I loved and was fascinated by this idea that he's asking us to look at what we can't see with our physical eyes, to kind of look beyond what we can see in, in this uh, life and to see through eyes of faith what he is building in the hearts of those who are submitted to him. And so that's what led me to writing Seek First the Kingdom because I was so fascinated by it. I wanted to help others understand what is this kingdom story that is all over scripture. And I want them to see it not only because it's changed my own life, but also because Matthew tells us, it gives us this picture that Jesus is a king who gives all that he is and has to us. So his righteousness, his very self, his his kingdom. And so when we when we have this undivided allegiance to him and to his kingdom, he gives us really everything we're looking for, the security and peace and life and blessing and joy. And so I want to share that with other women. I want them to discover that for themselves as well. Yeah. And I think the kingdom of God is something that we hear tossed around a lot. And so, um, especially in church circles and like furthering the kingdom, and we just hear that word a lot. But I don't know that everybody knows what that means. What does that look like? Like, first of all, what is the kingdom of God, which I know, like, there have been whole tomes and commentaries written on that question. <laughs> exactly. Um, but also, like, how? what does it have to do with our lives here on earth today? How can we, um, why is it important? Why was it important to Matthew and his audience? But then why is it still important for us to seek the kingdom of God? And what does that mean exactly? Yeah. Well, the easiest way that we can sum up what the kingdom of God is, is to think of it as the rule and reign of Christ. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more to it than that, that we could go into detail, and I, I do in my study. But I think Matthew focuses on this because of his audience. You mentioned that, Elizabeth. So before I wrote the study, I had never really considered why Matthew's gospel would have come first, why they placed it first in the New Testament. But its placement is really significant because of his audience. So we know that from his own book that Matthew was a Jew who worked as a tax collector for the Roman Empire. And one of the skills that tax collectors had was that they they were taught to write. They were trained as scribes as well. And so when Matthew encountered Jesus, he left the tax booth and he became a disciple and he started recording everything he saw and heard. And we see him writing in a way he's keeping his audience in mind. And that audience is the the Jews, just like him. They were just like him. And Matthew is wanting to prove to them that Jesus was this Messiah that they had been waiting for. And so his gospel comes first in the New Testament because it's what is often called a bridge book. It's drawing a bridge between the Old and New Testaments. And he does this, he draws this bridge by repeatedly quoting and connecting Old Testament promises and prophecies and even the patriarchs to Jesus. So he uses terms like son of David to describe Jesus because he wants his audience to immediately think of royalty. 
And so this another phrase he uses a lot is the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And that also would have rung a huge bell for his audience because they would know and remember that God had promised David that he was going to build an eternal kingdom through someone in David's line. And so by connecting these promises, Matthew is just saying over and over in so many words, hey, guys, this is the promised king. He's here. And he's inviting the Jews. Matthew is inviting the Jews to kind of walk over that bridge from the Old Testament straight into Jesus so that they can know and submit to the Messiah. So I think that's the same same goal for Matthew would have for us today as we read it, that it's absolutely relevant to where we are, I think, for two two reasons, I would say. One is because I believe we're living in this time when Christians have become really confused about, first of all, the kingdom of God. We don't know what that is necessarily, but also power and rule and rights. And we've kind of joined the world in setting up our own little kingdoms based upon politics or sexual identity or material wealth or, you know, any number of things. And so we need to see those little self-made kingdoms for what they are, because they don't produce life in us. They produce death. And I think Matthew, he drives that home over and over uh, through recording Jesus's words. And I think the second reason this book is so relevant for us is this massive uncertainty we're living in. You know, in the past year, our foundations that we thought were so secure, they have really been turned on their heads. And some some foundations we never thought could change have changed. And so we're really going back to some basic questions like, what can I count on? What foundation can I stand on? And where is my hope? And I think Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, and and not just, it's not Matthew himself, it's Jesus's words he's recording, and he's answering those questions for us. And he tells us, hey, Jesus is the authority on life. He can tell us where security is found. And it is in his kingdom. He says, this kingdom is unshakable, it's eternal, and and it's what we're looking for in these uncertain times. And so I think that gets me excited to think of those words, security and peace and life and blessing and joy. That's why the book of Matthew is so significant for us today. I can just hear the excitement even in your <laughs> yes. voice. Like, and that's what I, I love that about a, a good teacher and someone who's writing a study for us is because it has become just such um, an, an, I mean, like they love it so much because they've spent so much time in it. And I love how you talked about just Matthew being a tax collector. I had never really thought about that they were taught to write and yeah. like to be a scribe. So I thought that's a really interesting and what you talked about you know these were this was a jewish audience and so the importance of even the lineage being there in the first chapter yes mm-hmm. because we kind of gloss over genealogies a lot of time and yet matthew was really making a point like he yes. wanted to start that off and to think about that bridge from the old testament to the new testament which is is like you just start to see all those pieces even kind of just pull together which i think is interesting when you look at you know, Matthew's what we call one of the synoptic gospels. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all the, you know, the three synoptic gospels of the kind of the, they're all kind of unique, a lot of pair. Yeah, a lot of parallels there. So maybe let's talk, I mean, is the kingdom of God maybe the unique thing of Matthew? Or what would you say when you compare it to Luke or Mark? 
Yes. I mean, that is the theme of Matthew. He uses that phrase much more than the other writers. And I think some other unique things that he draws out is I love how he kind of toggles back and forth between recording Jesus's sermons. So Matthew is known for these discourses like the Sermon on the Mount, and there's several others included. So he toggles back and forth between his sermons and then his actions. Mm -hmm. So for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, we hear Jesus say, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. And so he's telling us this is what's important to God, who God is, what characterizes this kingdom that he's building. And then when the sermon is done, Matthew spends time describing Jesus acting what he has said. So after he says, blessed are the merciful, we see examples of him demonstrating mercy in action by healing people that he encounters. And I think it makes sense that, that not Jesus, Matthew would write this way because If you think about your favorite teacher or preacher or someone who's discipled you, they have made such an impact on you because they have lived what they taught. So they Mm -hmm. taught you scripture, but then they related to you according to what those truths in scripture are. And I think that's what Matthew is doing. He's saying, watch, Jesus is, uh, listen first at what he's proclaiming, truth, and then watch as he models what he's taught. So for people who encountered Jesus, he he was literally embodying the kingdom of God right before their eyes. So we kind of get that flavor in Matthew. Yeah, and I think one of the things, and you kind of answered this question a little bit already, but one of the things that we love about the Bible study is how you show joy and fulfillment come from being a part of and participating in God's kingdom on earth. And I feel like a lot of times we think about kingdom living, like quote quotation marks around that, um, as being kind of stuffy or full of obligations because yes. we maybe just hear it a lot of like, oh, seek first the kingdom and all these other things. So you shouldn't like, you know, mm-hmm. worry about anything else. And like we just think of it as maybe a to-do list when we talk about living for the kingdom. So Instead, you talk about it as like a pathway to hope. And so tell us a little bit more about that. Like how does that, how does the king, living a kingdom life lead toward hope? Yes, I love that you asked that. And I love that that's what you're hearing because that is, that is what I have taken personally out of studying Matthew and writing this study is obedience and submitting to the rule and reign of Christ is for our blessing and joy. He's not asking us to do something just because he's God and he can. He's he can do that, you know. But he's asking us to do this for our blessing. He is wanting to bless us. He is wanting us to experience true peace and joy. And he's telling us the way to do that is to come under him, under his rule and reign. Uh, it's like, I think of it as an umbrella that we we kind of come under that umbrella and he pours on us himself. He is the source of joy. He is the Prince of Peace. And so when we come under Him, we're coming under that. We're not coming under just rules and obligations. So I think I, I think now in terms in my own life of allegiance that when 
if I am turning somewhere else for my hope and security, what is that ultimately going to give me? Is it going to give me what I am looking for? If it's not Christ, it's not going to give me what I'm looking for because I'm looking for security. I'm looking for peace. I'm looking for, you know, safety or security or control or whatever it is. And when I kind of chase that rabbit trail of thought and say, where's this going to end? It's just emptiness. It's it's a dead end. But if I then turn and, and give my allegiance to Christ, meaning I'm asking for His will in my life, I'm submitted to Him, I'm obeying Him, that's not a dead end. What comes from that is is fruitfulness. It is true life. It is vitality. It is peace. It is blessing. All the things that he promises us in scripture. I think, too, it's like it's not even just the dead end, but it's disappointment. Like we're not. Yeah. It's never going to fulfill us. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. I've I've talked a lot about hope and that uh, the shakiness of it. And I feel like and what I always think of and I may have said this on the podcast at some point before. So sorry if this is a repeat for anybody. But um, I often think of hope as like a balloon (laughs) and we have to like tie it down to something that's secure. Uh And so um, like I feel like in my life I've constantly like tied it to things that are also going to float away, like Mm. whatever it may be, like a new job or a certain amount of money or a certain relationship or whatever. I mean, just pick your thing that you're tying your hope to. And it can be even as like I say silly, but it doesn't feel silly at the time. But even something like a television show that you're watching to like just give you hope or give you like security and peace. Um, And just thinking through all that, and every time I think about, like, it's just like the balloon just keeps floating away. It keeps Mm -hmm. coming untied. But when we, like, secure our hope to something, I mean, it's often called an anchor. That's in Hebrews, right? Hebrews, yeah. Yeah. An anchor to our soul. And so you just think about what your hope is anchored to. And I think that's what you said is so good. Just everything else that we put our allegiance to, that we put our, our hope in, is going to pass away. And we've seen that so much in the past year or so. Um, I know a lot of my friends have talked about this, about how this has just kind of been a stripping away of all these like creature comforts, um, that things that we would normally turn to, um, and they're, they're gone mm-hmm. <laughs> um, because of everything that's happened. And so I think that's such a good thing to have uh, a study to do on the cusp of like us coming out of this time to remember, hey, our true allegiance needs to be in the only person that can hold that hope and like yes. that we can anchor our hope to. Um, and so I think the timing of this is perfect as well because we're coming out of a time when our hopes may have been dashed for all this other stuff. And so it's now like now's the time to start anchoring it to the real thing um, so that way we can. Uh, yeah, we can move forward with hope. Yeah. 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 Uh, do you kind of like just thread that through the Bible study, Christine, or is it kind of something that you you want to just give, you know, like is it something that we get to? Um, how do you incorporate that in the study? Hope or? Mm-hmm. Yeah, hope. Yeah. Well, I think the whole thing moves toward where are we going? And mm-hmm. the kingdom of God is both uh, a present, it, it's a past, it's a present, and it's a future. 
mm. thing. So Jesus said, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand when he walked the earth. But he also began, as he got closer to the cross, he started talking much more about using the phrase, even the kingdom of heaven, mm -hmm. and saying how it would ultimately be fulfilled. And I think that that, and so there are, there's a lot of that at the end of the study where we're looking at the parables that he talked about. We're looking at what he says about when the kingdom of God will be uh, fulfilled entirely at his coming, what, what we should look for and all of that. And so everything builds toward that crescendo in the Bible study of our ultimate hope. And so how do we live in light of this fulfillment of the kingdom that's coming? How do we how do we live the kingdom life now? How do we live as an ambassador of the kingdom? So if you think about even culturally thinking, if you've ever been somewhere um, in a culture totally different than your own, it's very shocking almost. You, you see things so clearly that you normally don't think about. And I think that that's what that's really what I'm going for here in the study is to help us to think outside what we can see with our eyes and begin to live now how we will live then that where love and grace and community and the presence of God and the rule and reign of Christ exists. We can begin that now. We are a part of that now. And that's such a great encouragement yeah. for us too. even, you know, everything we've gone through to just to live in that, you know, mm -hmm. in the hope of the present and the future for sure. Okay, I'm going to take a little bit of a hard turn here. We're going to talk okay. about something else. <laughs> um, not because we don't want to talk about the Bible study, but you do have another resource coming out next year, uh, a new book on for pastor's wives. So, I mean, you are a pastor's wife and you write about the joys and the challenges of, of that role. So, um, I'd love to just hear more about that and just how you would encourage someone else who may be as a minister's wife. Yes. Well, this is kind of a hard question because I've just wrote a whole book about it. So I have a lot to say. In fact, I, I've i never written a book where I thought, I'm going to turn in a book and they're going to make me cut a lot of it because I have so many words. I have so much to say. I'm super passionate about encouraging minister's wives. So I'm thankful for the question. And I think... I'll just share what's been encouraging me lately, and hopefully that will encourage anybody listening. But what God keeps bringing to mind for me lately as a pastor's wife is the story of Hagar. So that's kind of an interesting, interesting story. Yeah. But Hagar, I've read it over and over recently. A few things stick out to me. One is she was in a really uh, a difficult situation, and uh, a pastor's wife you know, I, this is going to be an interesting analogy, but I think we can often be compared to an iceberg and hopefully because not because we're cold hearted, but <laughs> what what the church sees of our oh, lives is kind of yeah. the tip of the iceberg. And yeah. so they 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 see where we sit on Sundays. They know our, our children's names and maybe a few details about them. They know whether or not we work outside the home and they know some things about us of what we do, what they see. But the majority of our lives kind of rests underneath the surface. And most of what we do and the burdens that we carry, the church can't see. And so that could be anything from the insights that we provide for our husbands as he prepares the sermon or the way we get the kids to the church on our own or the mm -hmm. prayers that we pray for people who are hurting. 
and the sacrifices that we willingly make and, and want to make. And they can't see it, not because they're uh, the church is unloving or apathetic toward us, but because this is what leadership entails, especially leadership in ministry. It's servanthood. So it's using our positional authority and our influence to help other people grow in Christ and grow in relationship with others. So there's this, Andy Crouch calls it a hidden vulnerability in leadership. Mm-hmm. And so what the reason why Hagar keeps coming to mind for me is that the only way I can bear my hidden vulnerability is to remember that God is a God who sees. Mm-hmm. So not everyone can see and understand, but God is a God who sees everything. And Hagar was the first person in scripture to name God that, that he's the mm-hmm. God of seeing. She was in a, a really difficult situation. She was mistreated. She probably felt she had no recourse to protect herself or provide for herself and her baby. So she was completely vulnerable. And when she went to the wilderness, there she met an angel of the Lord. And she she named God, the God who sees. And God said, name your child, the God who hears. And so what's really struck me recently, as I've never thought about this before, is that because she knew God saw her, she returned. She went back to that situation. She went back into a vulnerable place. She did hard things. She obeyed God and walked in faith, even though she had been hurt and she felt alone. And the only way she could do that was because she knew so clearly that God saw her and heard her and would care for her in that situation. And so that's been a lifeline for me lately in ministry that I'm not alone. God sees me and he's pleased by my faith. He's pleased by what I do for him in faith and love. And so for any ministry wives out there, I would just, you know, we, we've heard that before. So it's a reminder, but just reminding you wherever mm-hmm. you are, God sees you. He looks after you. You might be in a difficult situation. You might have been hurt and you cannot talk about that. But he sees you and knowing that will help you to endure in ministry. Can you tell us the name of the book and maybe when it's coming out? Because we'll get some questions from ministry wives for sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, It's called How to Thrive as a Pastor's Wife. Mm -hmm. And it comes out, I don't have the exact date yet, but it comes out from with Baker next spring. Okay. Awesome. Great. And we also know that there are lots of women that are listening who are not pastor's wives or minister's wives. So what are some ways that they can encourage both their ministers, ministry staff as well as their ministry staff's pastors or sorry, spouses, not pastors? <laughs> yeah. Um, what are some just some maybe a couple of practical tips for them as they want to help the pastor's wife to be seen or to feel seen and just some things that they might could do that maybe others have done for you that may not be something that they would immediately think of? Sure. Well, I love the question. And I think, you know, if you are listening, if just a small, it doesn't have to be anything big, but anything that lets you know that you, you see them, that you see them not as your pastor or your pastor's wife, but you see them as a person. I think dividing them from their role is helpful. Um, just tell them maybe how you see Christ in them. Tell them how they've impacted you. Um, but what I mean by separating them from the role is, is you know, how would you encourage anyone in your life? It's not necessarily about 
what they do, but who they are. I think that's Mm -hmm. the distinction. Um, Some practical things you can celebrate with them, find out their anniversary uh, or their birthday, mark that on your calendar. We have people in our church who every year send us anniversary cards. And for some reason, that really strikes me more even than a birthday, just remembering that we are we are a husband and wife before we are pastor and pastor's wife and celebrating that with us and being thankful, um, challenging our, our us to stay faithful in our marriage. I think obviously if they have small children, one great thing to do is to offer to babysit for free or even better, just send them money in the mail for babysitting and a night out. Mm-hmm. Anything that says to them, I see you, I'm grateful for you, and keep going, that's going to encourage them. And you don't have to do it just during October, which is Pastor Appreciation right. Month. You can do it <laughs> any time of the year, and I love yes. that. And even I just think being a friend to your you know, ministry wives, you know, mm-hmm. like going to lunch with them and just like you said, just getting to know them as a person and being a friend. And I, I mean, some of my some of my best friends and I love when a pastor's wife tells me I'm not like other pastor's wives. I'm like, I'm, and, and I'm like, you know what? I have not met two pastor's wives that are the same. So I that's know. awesome. Yes. And also, we all say that. Every right. single one of us says that. You're like, what is the typical pastor's wife? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. Well, we did want to ask you just real quick about your podcast and if there, how we can find that because we know you have one. And so just tell us a little bit about what that's about and where where our listeners can find it. Well, the podcast is called By Faith. And thanks for asking about it, by the way. I have each season I do, I kind of tackle a different topic from a lot of different angles. And so I have done seasons on friendship. I've done a short season on ministry for all the pastors wives listening. I've done serving by faith, suffering by faith. Uh, And actually, I'm about to kick off a brand new season where I'm going to do something totally different. I'm going to release teaching to go along with my new Bible study, Seek First the Kingdom, because I taught it to my the women in my church last summer. They were my guinea pigs, and I recorded it. So I'm going to release that. So if you do decide to do the Bible study, you can hop on there and get some teaching to go along with it. Yeah, because we might mention that this is what we call a print-only study. So there's right. no video teaching. So this is a great way for yeah. a group to get some teaching get along some with that. That's teaching, good. Yeah. For sure. And we'll put a link to it in the show notes so everybody can find it easily. Awesome. Thank you. All right, Christine, the question we always ask our guests is, what has marked you in your walk with Christ? Well, to me, it was obvious as soon as I saw the question. (laughs) It is, and I don't know if everybody says this, but um, the book of Galatians, the Bible, the book of Galatians has marked me forever. I grew up not understanding grace at all. Mm -hmm. And so I lived under a weight of condemnation. I would swing from condemnation to pride, thinking my relationship with God depended upon me. Spiritual fruit was up to me. Spiritual growth was up to me. And I, I just did not understand who God was, that He was merciful and gracious, that He provided for me everything that I need to be right with God and to walk with him and to grow. And so one day I was talking with another woman and she 
she just called me on some things I was saying. I was trying to tell her, you know, this is how it is. And she said, nope, I don't think you're right. And she was very gentle about it. But she said, I've been reading the book of Galatians, and I think you should check it out. And I, I mean, it was like the Holy Spirit just grabbed onto my heart and said, pay attention to everything she's saying. I went home, started reading that book, and it was like reading my own mail. Mm -hmm. God just used that book to teach me who he really was, to teach me who I am, and that his gospel of grace, he truly has taken care of everything. He has given me everything I need for life and godliness. And that just changed everything. It changed how I related to him, how I related to other people. I was trying to manufacture love. I was already a pastor's wife at that point, by the way. I did not mention that point. But uh, it just changed ministry for me. It changed my entire life. Just, uh, I mean, the gospel changes us, but truly I experienced that and it came through the book of Galatians. I love hearing that. And and just so you know, I don't think anyone else has said that. No, so I don't. That's one of the things that we so love about this question is we do hear such a variety of answers. And they're all things that are so good and true and encouraging. Um, and so I also love that your friend felt comfortable uh-huh. enough to tell you that. And um, yeah, that's that's the kind of friendship we all strive for, yeah. I think. And so and really, it's a divine encounter, too, yes, that we, yes. you know, we look for those in our lives yes it was so thank you so much for sharing that sure well christine this has been so fun just getting to talk to you and getting to know you a little bit we want our audience to get to know you and we want them to really check out the new bible study um seek first the kingdom and we um, hope that you'll check that out and that you'll um be watching Christine and and just kind of watching the progression of how God's using her. Um, You know, it's funny because some people may not know you, but like you said, you've been writing for a long time. So we're excited that you're part of our Lifeway Women's Family. I'm so thrilled to be a part of it. I've enjoyed working with Lifeway so much. Well, we enjoy working with you. And so thank you listeners for being a part of this week's episode. And we want you to come back next week as always. We'll see you then. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heinemann. Use the hashtag MarkedPodcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time.